Hello. And this is Mav from the future of this particular episode. And I'm here with Wayne. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Mav. So this is a little weird. I'm sort of doing this, you know, I'm editing the episode that everybody else is about to listen to. But we recorded this a week ago, week and a half ago for us. So in real time before it dropped, but for us now in the future of when we recorded it, uh, we are the day after something really sad happened. Yeah, which we, we feel a need to to address. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, the actor who portrays Black Panther and therefore one of the you know, probably one of the most relevant um, movie franchises to people who listen to our show died uh, sat, well, sat suddenly to everybody else, but sadly and suddenly this weekend. And uh, apparently he died of a long four year battle with colon cancer that no one outside of his closest family and friends knew he had. And continued to work during that time. And, and not just work on, on films, but to be a pretty stunning presence in the lives of, of lots of people. We were discovering he was visiting other cancer patients, uh, doing a lot of good work, uh, just genuinely mm-hmm. being a, a superhero in, in the real world as well as on screen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as we can tell, I mean, again, we don't know him, but as far as we can tell, just from the tons of stuff that I've read these last couple of days, um, he was he was diagnosed while he was filming Black Panther. I, I guess he didn't when he took the part in Civil War, he didn't know, but he's known about it pretty much the entire time he's been. You know, he's, he was an actor before, but the entire time that he's been a huge Hollywood name, he's known about this and has been fighting it. And has been as inspirational a force as probably anybody could ever ask for to be the first, you know, the first mainstream blockbuster black superhero. So I, I just, it's shocking. I've posted memes about this. Uh, like pretty much everybody I know who is into this kind of geeky stuff that we're into is just heartbroken. Yeah. So, so just, we wanted to post a quick acknowledgement of this before we get into the episode. So rest in power and Wakanda forever. Absolutely. Wakanda forever. And now we return you to you to the regular show. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with the full crew, Hannah and Wayne and Katya. How's it going, Katya? Okay. That's a loaded question these days. I'm just not going to respond. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I could start singing <laughs> R.E.M., but then they'd like hit us with a copyright violation. Yeah. And also yeah. no one yeah, wants to hear me sing. now that we're on the YouTubes. Yeah, no yeah. one wants to hear me sing. 
I've, I've joked me a time that my range is somewhere between Kermit the Frog and Kesha before she stopped like doing so much rap. Um. Well, without singing and, and flagging us for copyright violation, what REM song would you sing, and how how can that segue into today's into today's topic? It's the end of the world yeah. as we know it. <laughs> as we know it, um, you feel fine. I do not feel fine. Him. No, <laughs> or just like period. Possibly. Yeah, just just it's the end of the world. Because like I will we'll get to the different types of end of the world narratives, but like a lot like a lot of the common ones are like weather, natural disaster involving space objects, a plague, like endemics, like murder hornets. Murder, actually yeah. a thing in fifty sci fi films. Fire. Yeah. Highly exaggerated. Yeah. Like I mean like if you look Virginia. at a map of the US and look at all the natural oh, yeah. disasters occurring, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good. It looks like like when Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec like did a pandemic like trial run and tried to destroy it and like drew like had tornado quakes and drew on a board and this is a very minor reference in a comedy that ended many years ago. It the world kind of looks like that. Like they were exaggerating <laughs> for comedy, but the world looks like that now. <laughs> to be honest. Oh, I'm I'm just really tired because I'm preparing for class. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> School starts tomorrow for me, which was, I mean, I guess as you're listening to this a week ago, so I could be dead by now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, teaching like four classes at two different universities, one of which I found out about like a couple of days ago. I'm, I'm really, I, I haven't slept, slept y'all. <laughs> to I'm be honest, of- if you're dead, they probably aren't listening to this podcast. Oh, you guys aren't going to edit it without me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have all the fancy equipment and such, and the audio files. That's true. Yeah, you have the audio files. So if, you say, if, if you're dying, send us the audio files. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, on my deathbed, please. Right. As, as we know, this will be your priority. Yeah. Or we'll like, we'll like, actually, we'll, we'll the, the podcast will just be delayed because, as you know, your your estate is being handled. <laughs> we will get the podcast. Uh, I guess. Audio files. I guess we could do some sort the $47 of forty-seven I have to my name. <laughs> I mean, hey, man. I mean, you've got a lot of geek stuff that's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Unless Steph is just going to hoard it all and sit on top of it like a dragon. I mean, you do have a Marble League t-shirt. That's something. That's true. Anyway, um, my my impending demise aside, we're talking about the end of the world today. So we've got a guest that, um, now it's weird because a lot of times I say, you know, we've got a guest that's got some experience. Um, I don't know how much experience. <laughs> we, have Brian, we have Brian Bennett from the Church of the Geek podcast. Hey, Brian. Hey, Mav. Hey, everybody. Hey, Brian. So, Brian, do you have experience in the world? <laughs> not exactly. Well, not that I can talk about. But... <laughs> Uh, I was once part of a I I was uh, I I did once have a a research grant from the Department of Defense. Does that count? Probably. Um, I mean, yeah, Yeah. that's closer. I'm curious as to what actually this was. I understood that you were a researcher on religion. (laughs) Um, Have I misunderstood something? I I also used to have a research grant from the Department of Defense. You know, people change, Katya. Yes, before I became a pastor, I was um, I was I was working on a PhD in um, low temperature physics and acoustics. Ah, okay. So. The world makes slightly more sense, <laughs> slightly, <but> just <laughs> only a little bit. Um, yeah. Hey, you did forget also in the things that are going down in 2020. You forgot the comet yeah. signs, Ooh. portents in the heavens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 
you know, there's been a lot. I mean, sometimes I feel like 2020 is like the year. Like, remember when all the people were freaking out that like, oh, the gays are getting married. You know, God is going to, you know, rain hellfire. No, no, it was it was Trump. And like, you know, with separating families at the border, plus the rise of authoritarianism, plus all the other stuff. And then you get 2020. This is this is. I'm I'm not a particularly religious person slash at all, but I I would buy that narrative. I would buy it. Hey, I, I want to raise. Actually, you're getting really. Cl- I think you're getting really close to some of. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, <laughs> there, there were feral hogs. That was like six months ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? Uh, do you remember? Like Australia was on fire. All of Australia. That yeah. was February. <laughs> like I was it's been a long year. That was like three years ago, I, wasn't I it, Mav? No. Uh, I think I so I turned thirty in March, uh, or sorry, in April, shortly after the pandemic, the lockdown started in the U.S. in March. I feel like I'm going to hit forty by next March. Uh, I just said I was going to be dead. So. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but I yeah. did say in the blog that mm-hmm. people have been instead of just joking, like, "Oh yeah, the end of the world is coming." I've seen loads of people on Twitter being like, "Sweet release, let the comet hit, take me." <laughs> People like I mean I've seen a lot of people like more on a practical note and a rather serious one like a lot of people are talking about getting you know wills in order and things like that yeah like yeah, people because, are because everyone in this country is being forced to go to work when it's not safe I have to go teach kids who have germs yeah yeah and a lot of it has been teachers like I've seen a lot of yeah. teachers either leaving their jobs of like you know ten twenty thirty years because of health issues because they're you know for whatever reason they're not in a position to take that health risk yeah or, I, or just other people just sort of like generally like things are uncertain right now i'm gonna make sure my paperwork is or in order just in case yeah, i've been seeing a lot of like before this like reached a crisis i i saw a lot of like articles talking about like your money or your life in terms of like academic speak and then i was like oh well this is this foretold mm-hmm. our current situation like I, i've seen so many people talk about oh, yeah how like I mean like a lot of the reasons why like people have to go back to work is just because like they can't afford not to so it's it's like it's like it's it's like a systemic problem as like if you you know follow like anybody on Twitter like or maybe not anybody Trump (laughs) well Trump has his own special version of reality that exists only in his own mind and I mean we've been talking about for I feel like on the podcast for the last several months is like a lot of these issues while they've been hitting a point, like a high point in some sense, and uh, are getting media attention particularly more often than they normally do, like a lot of the problems that you're talking about are issues that existed before. Like we've talked for, you know, at this point years about problems in academia, problems in labor, uh, problems in capitalism, of all of the things that are basically like coming to a head because of a pandemic, not to mention also, you know, see our recent Black Lives Matter related episodes talking about, you know, it is no mistake that we're hitting a very intense moment in the civil rights movement at the same time as a pandemic that's making basically everybody's lives like strained in a historically unprecedented way probably since you know the great depression mm-hmm. like we're about to see unless something happens massively in the next next couple of months if not weeks like we're about to see probably the largest homies, homeless population that the united states has ever seen mm-hmm. I, um, I, I just saw a meme someone wishing they lived in precedented times <laughs> I saw that too. <laughs> it would be nice, like so, like a little bit of precedent, like some balance. See, see that maybe this is all of the. It's academia for too long has been asking us to do unprecedented work, and then suddenly they, the world has decided, like, well, do you really want that? <laughs> so, end of the world. Yeah. 
So are, are we are we talking about narratives or just gen- the general concept of apocalypse? Yeah, it's just on you because like originally it was you know okay. we were talking about narratives, right? But then yeah. like Ryan had some interesting thoughts. Well, you know, originally, uh, like I don't know, in the before times, what I really <laughs> wanted to do was just talk about good omens because it was the only thing I've ever been happy Amazon has done in its entire existence, probably. And hey, this made oh. pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on. If you want to talk about systemic problems, just you know, listen to another podcast to analyze Amazon correctly. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as we were, like, thinking about things, I was like, oh, Good Omens is relevant again, because, you know, like, it does feel a little bit like the end of the world. Things are going crazy. Uh, uh, academics in all fields are, like, pulling out narratives of, like, like, and by all fields, I mean literature um, at this particular moment in time. Like, they're pulling out narratives of, like, you know, 18th centuryists. They're like, oh, Mary Shelley wrote The Last Man, which is about a plague hitting, like, the Earth's population and, like, wiping everyone but one dude out. Spoiler alert. And if you think, oh, that sounds pretty cool. She wrote Frankenstein. This is, like, a very interesting novel. It is, but also not in the way you think. Um, and then, you know, for, for years... Uh, you know, like the Anthropocene, which I think I should probably explain what that is. Uh, Please do. Uh, <laughs> the Anthropocene has been like the big like thing. Um, also, for like, people who have not been students of Nancy Armstrong, may have heard it as the Anthropocene. Yes. Uh, I don't even care about how to pronounce words anymore. We're in the world. Uh, so anyway, the Anthropocene or the Anthropocene, depending on if you've talked to someone else, um, is like the idea that humans have, at least in most cases, have negatively impacted like the Earth's climate and brought about climate change and disrupted like natural like systems. And a lot of scholars, at least in literature, probably because they're 19th centuryists, like trace it back to you know like industrialization um and you know it's thinking it about basically like, describe yeah go, go ahead it basically describes the period in which like human beings as a species are recognized as a like major environmental and geological force so like like and basically the human beings why it's called like if you've heard the term anthropocentric and the anthropocene is and now you've got me saying it god duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's basically like in the same way anthropocentric describes like things that are centered on human being. But yeah, the Anthropocene is basically like kind of, I think it was sometimes in some, some ways it's like, well, what happens when the world is some ways anthropocentric um, and that human beings become the thing that define what the globe is like. And as Hannah mentioned, like this is generally um, a negative, has a negative connotation in that the like, human beings, once human beings became an environmental and geological force, uh, it did bad things. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know that I answered our question. Are we, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think it's all those things. I, I think you know, we, we tend to approach this stuff as narratives just because that's our background and what we all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brian, your, your comments on, on the, the post, I just brought a, a point of view that I think most of us who, who aren't religious study scholars don't think of. I mean, when we think of apocalyptic and revelations, we think of, oh my God, the world is ending in fire and ice and, and whatever. Uh, and, and you pointed out a a more positive interpretation of that. At least that was my understanding. Well, of it. yeah, um, positive uh, positive is one way to look at it. it yeah, right. Yeah, it, it has to do with the the genre of apocalyptic literature mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. right? And that it's not 
it's very rarely truly apocalyptic. We, we don't really get a true apocalypse in popular culture. We get all of the death and destruction and mayhem, mm-hmm. right? But it's actually, um, it's one reason I actually dig Good Omens a ton because I feel like there's a, there's a very real um, aspect. Like it's not just get to the, to the destruction and everything's over or, you know, because I think in most Often when we talk about post-apocalyptic uh, stories, narratives, there mm-hmm. is in, in the true genre of apocalypse, there is no post-apocalypse except for something that is completely different and new. Mm-hmm. So um, from apocalypticism, you, which comes out uh, particularly out of the Jewish and Christian literature, um, there, is a, there is a present evil age and a future good age. And there is a definitive sort of... Um, cataclysm in between so they are there's a, a break between the two ages and it's th- it's that uh in the in the biblical apocalypses it's god brings about destroys the old evil age and brings about a new evil age. and it can't be done any other way everything has gotten so bad and evil that the only thing that can happen is a direct intervention right is this like that. the biblical noah's ark situation of like 40 days and 40 nights kind of deal? No, it's, it's, it's bigger. Uh, Noah is not a, is not an apocalypse. Although, uh, unless you watch, uh, Aronofsky's Noah, which is based on like Gnostic, uh, uh, uh Jewish texts, uh, Jewish apocalyptic texts, which is really fun, but it's not <laughs> Noah. <laughs> 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 it's <was> fun. <laughs> Okay, I love apocalypses. I and I come from a tradition. I come from a tradition that doesn't it's your really fault we're going through this, Brian. Okay, all right. I'm gonna. All right, I did it. No. Um, I, so I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Lutheran pastor, and like Martin Luther, if he could have gotten rid of the Book of Revelation from the canon, he would have. He he was not a fan of the canon. He couldn't. He couldn't reconcile uh, a loving God with the Christ that's portrayed with the iron rod coming out of his mouth to, to, to bring death and destruction, right? That for him, that was not, it was very hard to reconcile those two images. And it's not a big part of my, um, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not part of a charisma. It's not, it's not the core part of our proclamation, Mm -hmm. but we deal with it. Right. So, um, I I do dig it. Hold on. We should point out that, you know, I mean, you, you already said, you know, the apocalypse has, you know, in the Christian tradition, the the apocalypse is, you know, more than just the destruction part, destructive part in analogs and other, in other traditions, for instance, in in the Nordic tradition, Norse mythology, um, Ragnarok is the apocalypse, but there's an aftertime too. Mm, It's a cycle. Yeah. The actual destructive part of, you know, all the, you know, four horsemen coming and, you know, all the fire raining down from the sky. That part of the Bible is relatively short. I mean, like we should, yeah. it's in one book and it's not the entire book of yeah, Revelation. And, and, and it's a, it's a prelude to a better world, as Brian right. said. Well, and it's right. like, it's so many of our narratives seem to have gotten, gotten stuck on the dystopian part of apocalypse without we like being the cool, able to, We like the cool part where everybody's dying because it makes for a good movie. Yeah. Right. Ah, but, right. But we, and I think there's a key difference between dystopia and apocalypse. Cause I think, yeah. and I think it's exactly this kind of thing that, you know, Matthew noted and Brian introduced is that like, 
And I'm speaking as a science fiction person, mm-hmm. dollar thing, whatever it is they do. Uh, is that like dystopia? Dystopia isn't I, like I. I would even like distinguish dystopia from post-apocalypse. Post-apocalyptic uh, words. Post-apocalyptic genres. Um, at least because I think that like you you can often have dystopias without apocalypse. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most yes. literary like dystopias I can like name off the top of my head. I would not identify as post-apocalypse. Um, right. like, for example, like George Orwell. Or Hunger Games. Or or the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Um, It's because they're looking at, like, dystopias are often looking at dysfunctional societies, specifically. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like, even though for, like, I think it's an example, like, hey, the, you know, rain and hellfire is is happening. Like, an environmental disaster does not inherently cause a dystopia. It can if that environmental disaster causes, for example, back to, like, like, Louisiana post-Katrina, reveals a bunch of the, the, like, dystopian aspects of society, or you could even talk about, you know, that happening with the current pandemic. It's so like those like the disaster aspect that we might associate with a particular genre of apocalyptic fiction or apocalyptic reality, as I guess we're kind of talking about, um, that might reveal a dystopia. But you can also just have dystopias or like, like, for example, like Brave yeah. New World. There's no disaster in Brave New right. World. Brave yeah, New yeah. World is a dystopia because society evolved into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it evolved into a very like you know cap- like capitalist like consumerist society full of eugenics and things like that. Not because of just there was an instigating moment of like the world has fallen apart. Is actually the opposite. Like the world has built itself up into this, and now at the end of it, we're like it alludes to a somewhat I would say like like a, a, a like somewhat biblical like no, we need to bring about the end times, even though it never actually happened in the novel. Same thing with everything from uh, Blade Runner in nineteen eighty four. I think yeah. we should probably do a utopias and dystopia show and. Eventually, yeah. but but I, I think it is important though to point out that distinction. You know, we add them mm. together. Just again, I think that the this is a a problem of Hollywood, right? Like we we add them together because the interesting story visually is to look at your Planet of the Apes destructive. You know, uh, in the blog uh, on Hannah's proper comments, I use the day after tomorrow. There are so many movies that is like you know the world has suffered. You can tell because look at what look what's happened to the Statue of Liberty. You know. Like, <laughs> I think that's actually a really good point because, yeah. like, so often when we see like dystopia, like movies identified as dystopian or post-apocalyptic, they're actually neither, except for they have an aesthetic. Yeah, that we identify yes. with those that's things. Right. And there's that's a big right. difference between a dystopian or apocalyptic aesthetic yeah. and a dystopian or apocalyptic like story narrative genre in the more technical sense. Mm-hmm. Also, can I just say that uh, the day after tomorrow uh, is. According to uh, a paleo- paleoclimatologist, uh, William Hyde, who at the time was at Duke when it came out, he was so angry about how like the climate change was portrayed that he said that people would have to pay him to watch the movie. <laughs> and people raised money to get him to watch the movie. Um, <laughs> oh, so, wow. Is, it is, this, is, is this like a viable career option? Because I can do that. I'm I'm totally all about. I feel like if, this is vi- if it is a viable career option, Mav, you are the ideal person for it. Yeah, absolutely. Pay me to watch movies and give you your like. I'll totally do that. I mean, isn't that what we're trying to do this podcast? Uh, well, I guess in a way. <laughs> but, but I mean, do I even do I even have to? I mean, did, did, did he have to? Did he like what you know? Write up opinions. And stuff I mean, it, I mean, it was like a hundred dollars, and I think like some like. Group I totally him. Uh, but uh, he he said, "quote This movie is to climate science as Frankenstein is to a heart transplant surgery." Um, yes, and your point was yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that Frankenstein or Day After Tomorrow was claiming to be either of those things. Yes, um, I simply think it's funny. Uh, there, there is no point to this except. Uh, <laughs> 
The main association I have with that movie is my dad, for some reason, for an entire year when he was going through the medical treatment, watched that on repeat. So in my household, it's known as Day After Tomorrow Next Week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I don't think a lot of the uh, uh, sort of the disaster movies ever really get the disasters, especially like asteroid comet movies that are slamming into the Earth. Yep. You know, those are those are terrible, uh, in a sense, terrible science. It happened far too quickly, and you know, you, know, you, you, need, you know, and and you know, you you need a good drilling crew. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, don't need to be an astronaut. You need to be good at drilling. That's right. So I have, I know, uh, one of the things we've talked about, I know for like years at this point between this group is like I've noticed like there's different. So okay, looking at the history of science fiction, which isn't science fiction, isn't the only place where you get dystopian. And like post-apocalyptic narratives, far from it. But I think like it's I, part of the reason I find science fiction fascinating is it's kind of like the quintessential genre of the twenty and twenty-first centuries because it kind of, at least in the United States in a Western context, kind of kicks off at the beginning of the twentieth-first century, and it's really like the genre of the post-industrial world. Mm-hmm. So it's probably mm-hmm, right. of genre fiction. It's one of the most sort of like modern in the sense of current, and it's also one of the more of of one of the like sub-genres, things like horror, sci-fi, um, romance. It's one of the more longer-lasting ones. It doesn't go through the same kind of um, periods as has been associated with other genres. But, like, at the beginning of the 20th century, like, like shortly after the industrialization, like, it's very... I wouldn't say utopian. Um, there's actually a lot of literature and a lot of, actually, my research was about all of the dystopian sort of, like, hi, like, actually everything is going horribly wrong because you're about to build an atom bomb kind of world. There's a... <laughs> You know, one of the first times a sci-fi um, writer is is interviewed is Isaac Asimov being asked to comment on um, the testing of the atom bomb, and his one of his quotes is basically like, "This should show all of you that all of you, every all the sci-fi authors and the fantasy authors you've been dismissing for you know decades, if not centuries, going back to people like Mary Shelley." And he called he basically like this this proves that we're all a bunch of I believe the phrase he uses is wailing Cassandras. Like we've been telling you that the apocalypse is nigh, basically. Um, but there's still a lot of, I think, more optimism when you're looking at even into like the, the 30s and 40s. But basically, when cyberpunk and a few others like subgenres of science fiction at the latter half of the 20th century start emerging, you start seeing a much darker, dystopian, Blade Runner-esque kind of sci-fi. And I think that's reflected in a lot of other aspects of literature as well. And then and then in the last, I would say, couple of decades, the amount of what what I think most people identify as post-apocalyptic narratives, like things like Breaking like um the Breaking Bad. Is that no. what I'm thinking of? No. no. Dead. Are you thinking of the Walking Dead? I'm thinking of the Walking Dead. Yeah. Thank you. The other one. I was like, wait a second. That's not I don't actually watch television, guys. Wait, wait, wait. The other uh, AMC right. show. Yeah. Breaking Bad is about. Yeah, the, the Walking Dead. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to remember the other one with the zombies. No, Breaking Bad is the one with the drugs. Okay, I, okay. Yes. I know. <laughs> I just don't really like either of them. Well, oh my god! Um, well, I don't either. So mm. I don't like television, guys. Unless there's vintage clothes for me to flip out over, I don't watch television. Oh, that on. is actually 100 percent accurate. I guess I guess Doctor uh, Who falls under that category. Yes, yes. That's, Although, mm-hmm. There is the there is the fan theory that says that Breaking Bad is meth. Causes the, causes the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I, I have actually heard this on the Reddit. So I have heard this on the Reddit. Yeah. I guess like I don't know. I don't know if Ryan, you have thoughts on like it seems like there's more post-apocalyptic stories than there used to be, or at least like we think about them more often than I think about even in my childhood, the nineties. Like, I, yeah, is that yeah, a sense yeah. that other people share? And I wonder, like, do you have a sense for like, why we find those appealing? I th- I think one of the realities is 
Um, it, science fiction does, while there are the Shelleys and, and stuff coming in, but, you know, basically, I think a lot of the science fiction stuff starts basically as just a modified, uh, a rebooted swashbuckling, right? Think yeah, back to the early, right? It's originally then, like Young Boys Adventure Fiction in the yeah, 20s. Right. Like, that's yeah. its origins. So, but, um, you know, as it, as people write more and more and, you know, authors write these stories, particularly as we enter the nuclear age, right? I think that's mm-hmm. the beginning of a place for us to go, oh, crap, the end is a whole lot closer. Like, it's now like a button push away. Right. Um, and now, so you've got um, uh, the nuclear age. Then we've we get um, climate change. Right. Um, all of these resources, uh, non-renewable resources and fossil fuels and you know acid rain. And suddenly we start to get elements that are really focused on our lives. Um, oh, these are real threats. Um, how close are we? You know, and like what was it yesterday? We passed the. Um, uh, was it the, the day of the year where we have used up more than we could definitely renew over the course of the year? Right. So here in the mid August, we've we've used more during this year than we could ever replace in the year. Like we we are more aware of the impact um, that we have on the world and and how things are spiraling downward. Um, and I think there's I just think that that's an element for us to mm-hmm. be able to go. We need a voice. We need a prophetic yeah. voice. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's more. I, I do think there's something cyclical as as the old guy on the podcast. My preteen and teen years on TV was filled with Planet of the Apes and the Omega Man mm-hmm. and uh, uh Planet of the Apes, the series. Planet of the Apes, the series, and, and uh, Logan's Run. Logan's Run, and um, oh, what's what's the, the one? The the food is made out of people. Um, Soylent Green. Soylent Green. So you know, like the, the, <laughs> in the in the early seventies, there was just a raft of that sort of thing, just tons of it, and and that's you know, that's the science fiction movie stuff I cut my teeth on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, and it did, I it did seem I think, to go out of favor, and and yeah, there's more of it right now. But I, I do think there's there seems to be something. Sick. Favor? I because well, I'm wondering about that. I'm thinking about so we had. I mean, it changed looks, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that there's. I think that one of the things that we're doing right now is we're sort of gluing together. Katya, you said at the very beginning that dystopias and 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 apocalyptic narratives are not the same thing. Brian, you said that as well yeah. when you're talking about the way apocalypses look in actual religion. Versus the way they look in, you know, then in, well, oh God, I would say, you know, our typical summer blockbuster. And then I remember we didn't have any of those this year. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, yeah, but yeah, next week. Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> um, but the, um, the way, the way, um, the way these things look, but if I, I'm thinking about it, like, like I think that the modern apocalyptic film, you know, our, 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 Hey, how much stuff can we destroy? You know, we're really, we're really just trying to capture the lightning in a bottle that was independence day over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that's not like, I, I don't know that there's breaks so much as we have these key moments of yeah. well, like blade runner is this blade runner is this definitive film that like, yeah. is a stake in the ground. Uh, independence day is this definitive film that was a stake in the ground, probably silent green. And, well, and, and science, science, the, the, the look of science fiction films, you changed in the seventies because of star Wars, right? Everything right. we just listed exactly. was pre star Wars. And then suddenly we have star Wars and it's all, you know, the, the swashbuckling thing again, you know, much more yeah. of that. Um, but yeah, but so. I mean, these never like, like, like planet of the apes to things like walking dead, uh, you know, there's a clear line that you can oh, draw. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, 
the fact that, you know, Brian mentioned that there is like a hope of a better world, like it reminded me of a book that I'm pretty sure no one else has read. Um called romantic welcome to all academic books ever yeah yeah romantic you knew as soon as i said that that you were like it's an academic book romantic revelations yep. <laughs> visions of a post-apocalyptic life and hope in the anthropocene by chris washington who's uh like romanticist who studies you know early 19th century late 18th century literature and so in this mm-hmm. book um and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes uh, he he actually like looks at like romanticist authors like Mary Shelley and even Jane Austen, who I would not think of as a post-apocalyptic author. But, um, <laughs> but she's got zombies. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was gonna say, does she have the zombies? Uh, I'm not even. I'm not even. In, in, I'm, I'm just. Even I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, they, like actually, like you know, there were these moments in the world where like life was being disrupted. Like, like our lives, really, as as we knew it, it was the end of the world as they know it. And every Jane Austen novel, in my opinion, is about like how to like reconstruct a world and reimagine a better world. And like he's thinking about like apocalypse in like this like concept of hope. Um, and like as as the summary of the book says, in thinking about life after disaster, uh, Washington contends that these authors craft an optimistic vision of the future that leads to a new politics. And like, honestly, like a lot of post-apocalyptic narratives that I've read recently do do that. Like David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas thinks about this. Uh, some Whitehead Zone One, which is a zombie narrative that I think is a page turner. And Josh says is a plotting mediation on late capitalism, like does this toward the end. Like, I think Walking Dead. Isn't in that the, what page turner means? Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're a unique people. Man. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I, I think that like you know some of the things with you know walking dead when i like bothered to pay attention was thinking about how do you like construct a community out of the ashes though it seemed to be well, very and, well and, and yeah i was gonna say the the end of that series is very much about i mean the first part is survival but by the end of that series the comic series anyway it's about rebuilding the world the zombies become mm-hmm. a tertiary threat in that world it's very much about how do we build community this is what the world is now Right. How do we build community? How do we go back to some similar to normal in these circumstances? And, yeah. and in the comic series, you see that happen. I mean, it's not a utopia by any long stretch of the imagination, but they have rebuilt a world. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, I remember I mentioned in the blog, the Left Behind series, um, yeah. mm, yes. which, which traumatized <laughs> me as a child um, slash teenager. Um, oh, did they make you watch them? Or did you, I mean, did you no, watch them? I read them. No, oh, okay, I read them. No, I read them. Okay. I read them. Like, Okay. I uh I grew up in a conservative Christian church and I don't know exactly why because my parents did not agree with the views of that church but anyway I read they had a church library and I read all the left behind books just being in the library uh and also the Chronicles of Narnia and uh like the last battle is also basically just like C.S. Lewis being like hmm what can from the book of Revelation can I like adapt to yeah. Narnia, but like like both Narnia, which like I have complicated feelings about the last bell that we that has nothing to do with this episode, and like the last of at least the Left Behind kids books, like it's literally just like, hey, look, it's a new world, it's a better world, it's a paradise, like look, um, from what I can remember. Like I said, like like the things I mostly remember from the Left Behind series are like people hiding out in caves and snakes, like binding <laughs> them and sleeping on top of them. And like lots of violence and death and destruction from the Antichrist who like speaks multiple language and is basically, I think, a communist. Um, 
But I, I did read like this parody article that I of the Left Behind Kids series I linked to in the blog recently. So I might be remembering more what this person like reconstructed through like <laughs> their memory and not the actual series. But anyway, they were traumatizing. But they did imagine like quote a better world in the views of those authors. Um, the the Left Behind movie series for I think kind of obvious reasons never got that far. With these uh, Kurt Cameron. Cameron. God. Right. So I saw that you'd put that on. I saw that you had mentioned left behind and sort of the stuff. And, uh, you know, a part of me just wants to go that that's sort of disaster porn, not, um, not, uh, true apocalypse, right? It's because the whole rapture thing is, is such a new invention with, within Christian theology. And it's only been around for about 200 years. Um, you know, and so for, I mean, we're around 2000 years, right? So 1800 years, that's not anywhere. And it's, um, it, it's so late. It's, I, I have, uh, I have complicated feelings about it and it's, they're all, they're, none of them are good. Actually, they're, there's no good feelings about it. I take it back. I, mean, I, I don't have good association with it and I know nothing about that because I'm not particularly Christian. So no, I, no. You know, I agree with you. I, my, my gut feelings agree with you. Yeah. Well, the, the main thing, so, I mean, to be fair, the book of revelation has, um, 22 chapters. The first three are, um, letters, uh, to churches. Then there's um, 20 uh, or 19 chapters uh, or 19 chapters left. And it's only the last two that you get the good stuff. Right. right? Yeah, so, really the, it, yeah, it's really quick. You know, 21 and 22 are, hey, here's the good stuff. Um, and then all of the stuff in between, you get this, which is standard for uh, apocalypse. You get this sort of recurring spiral timeline, right? You get, you get repetitions and you get all of the stuff that comes back around again. And again, you know, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, right? And in the midst of that, you get all of these sort of historical, uh, symbolic events and, and the stuff. So it, it, it takes up the bulk of revelation. Um, and so it's not surprising that that becomes so much of the focus of everything else. Um, and that's what we associate with it. Yeah, because except that Revelations is not the only book of the Bible. You know? Right, exactly, <laughs> you know, exactly. It's, it's literally just that one that people are fascinated with because that's where all the fire explosions are. Well, you, you, there's um, there's part of the book of Daniel that is apocalyptic. Mark chapter 13 is apocalyptic. Um, you get Ezekiel has uh, apocalyptic uh, I- images as well, right? So it, that's a plus there's a few extra biblical sources that inform that out of Jewish writings, there's uh, first Enoch, second Baruch, fourth Ezra. Then there's um, within the Christian sort of worldview, mm-hmm. there's the shepherd of Hermas and the apocalypse of Peter. I mean, you get these sort of things that, that help us see <laughs> where this all comes from, you know, but right. It's not revelation is one book yeah, and it gets the, the Bible's like, the Bible's like year, 600 pages long. This is like the campus ministry. I guess it's, it's, it's really, really not revelation. a lot. <laughs> And I'm just like, look, there's 65 other books, man. Let's look at some of those. Yeah. 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 I think so. It's, but, but, so there's a yeah, dragon. There is a dragon. Yes. So, do we literally just like this part of the Bible because dragons and apocalypse and we like a certain amount of disaster? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, sure, there are other books with like wild and crazy stuff, like, the story of Gomer, but like, who wants that when you can read the dragon part? I'm being very deeply like. I mean, that's why I just read The Hobbit. Yes, I, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm definitely joking, and There's also, a- and also, like, I think that, like, no, I understand, but I think it's it's like speaking as somebody. I mean, I was raised very briefly in the Mormon faith, and I mean very briefly. Uh, 
It's it's fascinating. I guess it's just fascinating to understand. I always I often joke that I only read books and watch television with explosions, which is not entirely wrong. And I'm glad I'm not the only one, although that also concerns me for the state of education in this country. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not only do you have you've not only do you have the dragon, you've got the horny beast. Yeah. I mean, the beast with horns. Sorry. There's a distinction. <laughs> um, I mean, but yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of imagery. Yes. Oh, no. I don't want to say uh, it. Uh, <laughs> the, the joke had to be made. I guess I wasn't. Yeah. I guess I yeah, I guess I wasn't ready with this. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time we've ever no, used that on the show, actually. <laughs> There's there is a lot there, and I and I think that's uh, it is important. I, like I said, it's not it's not a huge part of my tradition, so I mm-hmm. maybe that's why I'm drawn to it because we just never talk about it, and I want to have ways that we talk about it helpfully because I think there are lots of ways that we talk about apocalypse. Because I think what was it? One of the questions you asked is it? Um, you said uh, is it just speculation in what such an event would look like? Is there a moral question attached to uh, to them? Um, and I think the way popular culture deals with it, I think it is a it, there is a moral question, right? We already mentioned The Walking Dead, and this is what community looks like. This is how we reform community. This is what it looks like, right? Um, I've been well, reading- in science fiction, it's also often used as like judgment on because a lot of science fiction post apocalypse is actually like a speculative version of like I mean it's more dystopian than post-apocalyptic, but go, but go back to Brave New World just because it's a common example. Like, that is a cautionary tale the direction of society in the future. So often when you see post-apocalyptic narratives in science fiction, it's about like, oh, this is what our world, if we kept doing the things that we're doing, yeah. will look like in 100 years, and it will end the world. I, I right. think, uh, yeah. I think exactly. in some cases, they're not entirely wrong, actually. Yeah. I think that, like, the time machine is definitely dystopian, um, but also, like, can be talked about in this conversation because mm-hmm. at the very end of the novel, he does like watch the world die. Um, mm-hmm. and, like when he goes, and humans die specifically. Yeah, yeah. And when he goes back, um, you know, he's like, Oh my God, if we don't change our ways, I mean, I'm over playing this, but Oh my God, if we don't change our ways, I will become like the Morlocks. Um, <laughs> which also like another thing that terrified me as a kid, I guess I just wanted to deal with my childhood trauma of reading fiction. I don't know. Um, in this episode, but like Morlocks, you know, that's, that's scary. Like the wishbone episode on the time machine. Nope. 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 I can't read the time machine now without <laughs> keeping the lights on before I go to sleep. Well, and, um, I mean, and all of that also reflects like H.G. Wells's politics, like H.G. Yeah. Wells, like, you know, advocate of socialism and a lot of other things. But like one of the things he decried, even though he's also a scientist, so, I mean, he foreshadows in his writings a lot of things about anthropocentric thought that Hannah talked about in the episode. Like he talks about like basically human beings will be their own demise if we don't learn how to adapt about it. Hello, see my dissertation. Um, because he basically he he starts writing about like we've actually changed the fate the way nature functions and if we don't change with it we will die out uh after 2020 and actually do you i mean i know you know but do you know how hg wells connects to brave new world huxley as as a um you know six degrees of separation thing i do know but would you like to explain i'm assuming we're, we're thinking of the same reason but I, you might have a different one uh, so, i believe there's actually um, several <laughs> I mean, probably, but I think that the um, most obvious one is that. Uh, um, so the, the one that I so basically H.G. Wells 
when he was uh, studying at the normal school of London to become a scientist, was taught early eugenic thought by, what was it? Thomas uh, Henry Huxley. Thank you, T.H. Huxley. And, and, um, yeah, and T.H. Huxley, uh, sorry, you, I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, he wrote about ethics and evolution, and he basically was like, you know, just because we think something is morally good doesn't mean that that's actually going to be the trait that's passed on. It's going to be the things that help you survive. And so, like, in and other people who are like real H.G. Wells scholars have written about this. I've just taught it a couple times. Um, H.G. Wells, like whenever you look at the Morlocks and the Lanwi, it's like, oh, they like didn't like adapt based on like their moral goodness or based on like what we would see as desirable traits. They adapted based on like how they fit in with their environment. Right, because well, because the Eloy and the Morlocks, generally speaking, are often read as a distinct. So, like the Morlocks or like the underground subterranean kind of, you know, often depicts, depicted vaguely monkey esque, but not really. Uh, it's complicated, like underground mole people. They're depicted as mole people, weird, fuzzy mole people. Uh, are usually read as basically descendants of like the British w- working class. Wait a minute, Eloy. I'm in the time machine. <laughs> 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 Wayne, you're in the time machine? You're in the Bible? Wayne, you're like, wow. Wayne, I'm just going to ask this once. Are you the Antichrist? <laughs> if he were the Antichrist, could he say that? I don't know. Depends what stage. Depends what stage. Also, we can't put it on air because I'm pretty sure YouTube will... will uh, it will get tagged, yeah. Um... Although we're not monetized yet, so that doesn't matter yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, so basically, like like H.G. Wells is read, the, the Eloy are, are read as the um, like the, basically the aristocratic class, which is why you see I I would say spoiler alert, but the novel is literally over 100 years old. Uh, you basically see the, the Morlocks actually are the dominant species now because they actually feed off of the Eloy because the Eloy like have just become like basically domesticated like, sheep. Yeah, um, yeah, because they can't actually work for themselves. They can't actually make things. They can't farm. They can't do anything. So the Morlocks actually run the world because they, despite being like the descendants of the world, the, like the descendants of the of the lower classes, and therefore you know don't have the sort of high society prestige. They're the ones that actually know how to you know feed themselves, make machinery, and all these other things. Um, where was I going with that? Why was I talking about this? Oh, but. Uh, so the whole thing with TH, so both, it, it is important to note that both TH Huxley and Wells at various points in history are, um, advocates of eugenics. Um, and for listeners who might not be aware of that, eugenics is basically the principle of engineering basically who lives and who dies in order to, and I'm talking about people specifically, um, who lives and who dies to create the most advantageous gene pool. So we see examples of it in places like North Carolina and California up until, I believe, into the 70s um, of like the forced sterilization of women, uh, uh, particularly women of color, also women who have various um, mental conditions and things like that. Um, so this has a, a long history, not just not just in the, the olden times. Um, but I think, I mean, but one of the things that I find really interesting about both T.H. Huxley and H.G. Wells is they, out of this kind of like, I mean, eugen- I mean, we think we can all pretty much agree that eugenics is bad. Eugenics bad. Eugenics bad. Yeah. Eugenics bad. Eugenics bad. Yeah. In case, yeah. for some reason, some listener out there has any illusions about morality, <laughs> eugenics bad. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the interesting things is once once Wells, people start pointing out this criticism to him, he, in his letters and in his um, various interactions with scientists, he starts rethinking like, well, what do we do with this information about like knowing how evolution works and knowing how society is one of the things also Wells started doing is he started thinking about how social conditions 
hence why he was a socialist, uh, social conditions shape evolution. So he's a very capacious understanding of the environment. And he started to actually argue for, we actually have to create something like utopia because that's actually what's killing us. He starts, there's a lot of like research that's coming out in the 20, late, latter part of the 20, 20 and 21st century talking about the way, I mean, we, now we call it the social determinants of health, but it's basically the way that your environment and your, your genetics essentially interact to create things like, you know, when we're looking at, you know, for example, in COVID, we see that like uh, pandemics hit black and brown communities, particularly poor black and brown communities, much harder. H.G. Wells was thinking about that um, when he was thinking about all of these various questions. And I think part of that starts to come out in the mm. time machine. And we're, when we're looking at yeah. it's the social conditions of labor uh, and prestige that create this evolutionary tract. And then ultimately, like Hannah talked about, it's on the end of the world. That was a really roundabout way of explaining things. Hi, never bring up things after my dissertation. Apparently, I will go off on a very long day. I mean, maybe that was my plan all along. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but I think it's, it's, I mean, Wells is an interesting example because his, he didn't write fiction with the intent to write fiction. He talks about this a lot. He doesn't see himself as a novelist in the classical sense. He wrote essays to prove political points. Wait. So when you look at the, you his, his version of political? Fiction, what a, what a concept, you know? I, I've never heard of that before. I need to change my entire <laughs> dissertation. But, well, actually, at the time, though, I mean, this is one of the reasons also to see my dissertation. He would have arguments with people like Henry James. He actually believed that fiction's primary purpose or one of its primary purposes was ideological, whereas people who, like Henry James, who wanted to be seen primarily as artists with a capital A, really hate, like disliked that mm. um, because they wanted to be seen as documents, like, you know, documentarians of, of culture. Wells had a very different perspective influenced by his background as a journalist and especially he comes from poverty which I think changes his perspective on what literature is for um, I could go on to a big diatribe as to why exactly that is but I mean H.D. Wells in his autobiography basically says that literature saved his life more or less like, like literature is the reason why he did not spend the rest of his life in poverty and I think so for him looking think, thinking about H.D. Wells writing things like The Time Machine his other kind of like, like post-apocalyptic or dystopian literature I think, I think he takes it very personally which goes back to i think some of the conversation we've had earlier is like why these things resonate is because you know for someone like henry james who grew up in you know comparative economic comfort and stability his entire life i mean quite actually extreme economic comfort stability considering the time period i i think i think those things were more personal to hg wells because he lived in a much greater state of economic precarity for most of his life and saw the effects of it like more on top of that um and so i think when and i think that that goes to why we start seeing these these things and these 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 stories and they start hitting harder in periods where things are really things are really difficult um like i would not be surprised if out of 2020 comes a whole new generation of dystopian and post-apocalyptic you know movies film um that was redundant uh <laughs> <laughs> television shows and things like that just because like people will have a personal experience with it on a scale that i don't think we've seen in a very long time i think you're right i, I mean you are right yeah <laughs> it only happens the, once a year as you're as you're talking about this all i'm thinking about that i think the um if i want to liken this back to sort of biblical categories which that's just sort of my thing um this uh, the the literature the science fiction and uh even fantasy all of this stuff comes into places where it's far more prophetic and i mean that in the sense of fitting within the, the category of the prophets because mm -hmm. the prophets are not they're not about foretelling things they're about uh, speaking the word of the lord right so 
so many of the prophets are far more interested in dealing with economic injustices, right? In the way that the, that the rich treat the, treat uh, the poor folk, right? Which is pretty much everybody at the time, except, you know, a small handful. Are you saying the Bible is socialist? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I mean, I might have said that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. If you inferred that from what I said, I don't know what to tell you, Mav. Um, I will tell you, it is certainly not capitalist. Um, look, there are many, there are many critiques of socialism that I, yes. I might have too. But, but um, yeah, it is not a, it is not a manuscript for uh, capitalism. Uh, no, it's not. So, but you know, uh, yeah. Also, there's, no, there's no good, for, there's no good rich person portrayed in there, but. No, uh, so going back to this whole thing, like you talk about apocalypse, and there is a prophetic edge to that apocalypse. And uh, like I was, I've been reading uh, Octavia Butler's uh, Parable of the Sower and Talents, right, over the mm-hmm. past uh, couple months, right. Uh, and I am ready to to anoint her as a prophet. Like, like that stuff is totally pushing towards a you know a really possible terrible end. Um, and yeah, it's um, so it fits more with that with that sense of oh, this is the this is the terrible stuff. Um, people pay attention, wake up, change it. Um, mm-hmm. Then the then full out apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, maybe maybe one of the flaws of like focusing on you know focusing on the explosions basically is if we're going to argue that most of these narratives are. I'm trying to think what's what's a really horrible one. Geostorm. You know, Geostorm really is a warning about climate change, right? It's like, don't fuck it up. That's what the story is, right? Um, and in if we're if if most of these movies have that message, if most of the books have that message, um, then then you focus on these the explosion and maybe that gets that gets lost, you know? Like it's not just the it's not just the stuff that Brian was saying at the at the beginning about like there being a better look on the other side. You know, you have to actually look at these things and say, well, what is this trying to tell me? You know, how do I avoid the world turning into zombies or the Statue of Liberty being buried in the sand yeah, yeah, or the water? Don't, no. don't be stupid during a pandemic. Yeah, wear a mask. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's the. It is. It, but you know, given what we do, we run into so many people who are like, uh, who, who say, and we've talked about this on the show before, you know, I don't, you know, back in my day, comics didn't used to be political. Back in my day, movies didn't used to be political. No, back in your day, you were stupid. Like that was, you just didn't understand. <laughs> or you message. were very sheltered. Yeah, and you, yeah. might, well, you, and know, you I, might still be. Yeah. You yes. know, you know, I think that like a lot, a lot of these narratives, like, well, what some people might take from them is like, we should be more personally responsible. But I think that a lot of these narratives, like just some contemporary authors like David Mitchell, our cults and Whitehead, they're thinking about systems like, you know, global corporations and like my favorite term, unfettered capitalism. Um, and, you know, um, you know, thinking about like the, like the problems with corporations and like the, you know, larger systems that rule our lives. And then the question is, is okay, if that's the case, then like, what can the individual person really do? Um, because it feels like this train is not mo- slowing down because as, as people have pointed out specifically with big corporations, like the rich are getting richer during this pandemic while the rest of us, um, are being squeezed. Um, right. And I think like, so many of these quote unquote 
apocalyptic trends in like modern society. Like they are things that I was just watching um, a bunch of videos this morning about fast fashion because fashion is one of the most destructive industries right now on the planet uh, from both an environmental standpoint and a labor standpoint. Um, yeah. And I, because I sew, that's a really big, you know, that's a fairly large conversation with the sewing community. Simultaneously recognizing, however, that the individual consumer has so little agency to really intervene with that outside of like you can like I can personally boycott all the fast fashion companies I want. But unfortunately, and I do actually, um, but a lot of it has to do with systems outside of our control, which are both like governmental regulation and what what companies have been allowed to do, not only within the United States, but globally. Um, But also like part of it, I think is interesting is also like the way that cultural expectation has changed like we now expect and i say we particularly speaking about like the western world um specifically like the united states and parts of europe we own more clothes for example than at any other point in human history um mm-hmm. and we expect to own more clothes and go through them more quickly at an, an any point in history and i think that there's probably similar versions of that that apply to almost every other aspect of this um like you know for example like bigger houses and all these other things which are all things that kind of like pop up in a lot of these stories is basically it's not just it's the these systems but it's also the ways that culture has shifted to accommodate these systems and it's kind of like i I don't know if it's chicken and egg kind of situation but because of both of those together it feels like like what do you do to change it short of a global disaster that breaks both of those systems simultaneously ozymandias do not let our listeners think that you're backing him up <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not, but I mean, the, but I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking the question of, you know, to, to Hannah's original point, why do we love these, these stories? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you would think that logically you'd think that um, we're in the middle of hell right now, as far as 2020 has gone with, you know, pandemics and murder hornets and, you know, whatnot. But we're, we're in the middle of, so you'd almost think that we, that no one would want to hear about this sort of stuff right now. You'd think that it would just mm-hmm. be, you know, last week we did the Marble League show because we wanted to talk about something whimsical, right? And you yeah, sure, that, sure sign of the apocalypse. Oh come on! Oh, come on. <laughs> Wait, no, we're making the Marble League show an annual thing now. One pure thing, but one. You know, but no, but Jesus, um, we're, we're, we're I'm the Antichrist. Off. Remember? Yeah, we can't but, say that. You're yeah, not allowed but, but to. We're, we're going to get demonetized. Yeah, if we're if we are if we're doing this thing where we're looking for you know for escape. We also are sort of, you know, I I do think that there's a inclination to watch these sort of, you know, apocalyptic things. I've I've talked to so many people who have watched the pandemic documentary on Netflix during this pandemic. And I wonder if it's if part of this is, you know, are we looking for meaning? Right. Maybe we do like these these things where the world is blowing up because the world feels like it's blowing up. And, you know, maybe it's a little too real to talk about this invisible illness that is like, you know, sort of killing people left and right, sort of seemingly randomly. But, you know, I can handle some aliens. You know, I can handle. I can handle. I can a rock hurtling towards the earth. I can do that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I've had some. I've had some friends say though that like they were watching Walking Dead and they just can't 
can't do that right now. Uh, you just the, the current circumstances have made that too real, so they need even more of an escape. But I, I think you're right. Marble League. Yeah, I'll recommend no. Marble League. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I think you're right, Mav. I think there's a certain amount of you, you know, one of the purposes of fiction is we can just place our anxieties onto this narrative. You know, we can watch mm-hmm. these things uh, in a very different way than than affecting our real life. And during our uh, comfort TV episode where Kati and I just want to talk about the Great British Bake Off, um, people did comment and say, I'm watching these dark shows and it's like, it's not just, you know, like the happy things that are bringing me comfort. Mm, it's cathartic, I think. Yeah. For, for a lot of well, people. And, and I think part of it might also be like, especially I think in the early days of the pandemic when we were, a lot of us were glued to like news feeds and Twitter feeds of like every single update. I, that's I, me I, every day. That's because, <laughs> Matt, that's because you're, you, I don't, you have things going on that I don't really <laughs> understand. Uh, but I think that there is an aspect of like, you can't stop watching the train that's about to crash kind of aspect or like the house that's on fire. It's like, even if it's not enjoyable in like a fun sense, that there is something about it, like you can't look away. And maybe that these shows, because it's not the thing that's happening in real life, we're able to kind of like satiate that impulse without it being too close mm-hmm. to what's actually happening to us. Well, so like, you- for example, we can watch the show about aliens that Mav mentioned or zombies or mm-hmm. whatever, but because it's not you know, you you can save yourself from a zombie with a machete in a way that doesn't affect the coronavirus. And you know, the three the, because yeah. a machete can save you from the zombie. It can't right. save you from creeping global capitalism. Right. Yeah. yeah. Unless yeah. you're going to have an armed revolution, which yeah. is an entirely different thing. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, but I think that's part of it is that there is there, within classic apocalypticism there is a, a triumphalist movement, right? Um, that encourages people to um, remain faithful, but within the sense of the movie and narrative apocalypses that we have, right? It still is about, I think the sense of human fortitude and, and human accomplishment and achievement, like very few apocalypses broadly understood within science fiction are going to end with the end of the world it happens. It happens occasionally as, as sort of the warning, but hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, that begins. Even then, like a new species or something usually takes over. It's not the end of the universe. It might be the end of people as we understand it. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think most of the times what it's going to do is point us to humans. You can do it. Come on. Everybody band together. Society. Yeah. That's what good Mm -hmm. omens like kind of does. It's like, well, the angel and the demon have fallen so in love with the world. But they don't even want the apocalypse to begin because they want their sushi. I mean, I'm. Yeah. Wait, are they just, no, that's right. Are they just that's right? Are they just like the most bourgeois people in the world? I mean, by people, I mean, they're. <laughs> most- I mean, here's the here's yes. the reason I love it because I love Good Omens and like I said, that's one of we we covered this at the campus ministry last year. We we watched it and talked about it because most of the time, right? There's the particularly within American Christianity. There's the looking for the pie in the sky. Look, we don't have to worry about this world. We're going to go to a new one, right? But apocalypticism is not about the in Revelation, heaven and earth come dwell dwell together, right? And it's not about escaping it. Um, it's about helping create the thing that's coming. But um, it means that this creation matters. Like the world itself matters. Um, we were about plague and pestilence. Damn it, I, I want to care about the world because sushi is wonderful. It's a good thing. I like it, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't want to just live in a world where I just worry about spiritual stuff. That's that's Plato read back into Christianity through Augustine uh, stuff that has has dominated us for sixteen hundred years. So, 
So have we resolved anything yeah, besides yeah, yeah, Good I, Omens I is the best one? <laughs> yeah, watch Good Omens. Um, Marble League is cathartic and will distract you from the impending fire of the universe. Uh, Wayne is wrong. And don't be a eugenicist. Those are the three I got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, eugenics is bad. Eugenics is bad. bad. Eugenics is bad. Eugenics bad. Do not do eugenics. Do not. I mean, I, I, I just can't even believe that that became a topic of conversation on today's show. But I guess it, <laughs> it, <laughs> it was, was, it was well, deeply. And the problem is, it's also there's quarters. This is another show, but there's quarters where eugenics is starting to rear its head again oh, because yeah. humans yeah. are trash. Which is why, which is why I want to make it very clear that we here at Vox Popcast, as an official statement, are firmly on the side of eugenics bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, not what we're recommending. And if you so are on the side of eugenics you good, yeah. I don't want you to listen to this show. I don't want to be associated with you. And I, you need to go sit in a corner of your home and have some <laughs> very deep conversations with yourself. But first, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Yes. and let us, <laughs> Exactly. Yes, that, that we helped you rethink your stance yeah. on eugenics. Yes. To believe that eugenics bad. <laughs> yeah, so we'll resolve nothing. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, I mean, again, like always, fun conversation. That yeah. it, it, it is... There is so much going on in the real world that I think that, you know, you have to sort of give a pass and say, sometimes it's just nice to watch the Statue of Liberty blow up or the White House blow up or the Eiffel Tower or there's a lot of blowing up stuff in these movies. Right. And uh, and and yeah, I think there is a deeper meaning, but I think that I think a lot of that happens on a subconscious level. And we're just trying to I think a lot of it is escapism. Um, but I do explosions think, pretty. Yeah, expl- I love a good ex- explosion. You know, the, the no la- well, there are no explosions in the no. There are there are a little bit of explosions in the Last Man. There are far less explosions in the Last Man than there should be for it being as long as it is. Mary Shelley. <laughs> um, it's okay. Mary Shelley was trying to you know make her way as a serious novelist while also writing about weird monsters and stuff. I get it. Also, anyway, also and like, when she uh, listens explosions. to the show in the past, um, <laughs> I'm sure she'll fix it. Also, I want I mean, to. Hey, if there's anyone who's like a and a, a uh, like a historical time traveler, I would buy that Mary Shelley somehow ran into a time machine. That I would accept. This also, is I would also like to make it clear that I do not subscribe to any of Mary Shelley's politics as a general rule. Uh, that's all. Just for the, the one 18th century is listening to this show. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brian, thanks for joining us. Tell people yeah, about your show fun. and where they can and where they can hear more of you. So we are Church of the Geek. Uh, we have um, uh, we release uh, every week. We're on most platforms: iTunes, Spotify, uh, podcast. Like we're on a lot of feeds. We're we're pretty much everywhere. Um, uh, Sam and I deal with uh, uh, geek culture and, and its intersection with faith, uh, and have talked uh, about a whole lot of things um, all over the board. So uh, check us out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and palindrome Hannah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers, but honestly, you might as well just follow the people I link in the show notes because they're more interesting <laughs> than I am. Uh, yeah, you are the worst at promoting yourself ever. <laughs> and yet, I'm still on this show. So, who's the real like genius here? Uh, God, yeah. Also a genius, uh, but also where can people find you? Well, that was weird. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at just that nerd kid. 
And there might actually be some, I usually do sewing content. There might actually be some more nerd content coming up because I'm doing, sometime this fall, I'm making a suit vaguely based off of Agent Carter, but also with a bunch of stuff that one of my friends gave me from the Spanish Civil War. So hmm. that'll be weird. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne. Um, yeah, I got nothing this week. <laughs> he just, just doesn't exist on this other podcast. I, I, I know, it's, just, it's yeah. not like his. It's not like his Instagram feed goes away. I'll be linking to it in the show notes yeah. anyway. But it's just like, oh yeah, you can't follow uh, me. Not, like, not, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing new. Like I, I've actually promoted a couple specific things the last couple of days. Last this couple time, times you've been on, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I have nothing specific to promote this time. So yeah, all the oh, typical hey. places you can find me. Hey, can uh, I throw one more thing in? Yeah, I, oh, sorry, sure, sorry. I'm sorry. I just I forgot because um, I, I don't think I said at Geek Church is where we're at at Twitter. But also, um, I've also become more and more involved with Theocon, which Mav, um, you were at last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and so um, the uh, 17th, 18th, 19th of uh, September, which we were going to be in uh, person in Pittsburgh uh, for our con. Uh, we are actually now uh, online. So if you check out uh, theocon.live, uh, our website there, uh, you yeah, can see some of the stuff that's going out there. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll link Theocon in the show notes. We, we, we do yeah. that a lot. Um, we've, we've had yeah. quite a few of the organizers on at various yeah. different yeah, points. I know. Yeah, so. So, but uh, let's see. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, always at Chris Maverick, or you can follow my blog, though I haven't been updating it because I've been way busy see the beginning of the show at www.chrismaverick.com you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we talk about what we're going to be talking about next week and future weeks and you can comment on individual episodes that you've listened to or you can comment on future shows um, you can also follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, always at Vox Popcast. You can follow us on YouTube. Please subscribe to our new YouTube channel. We talked about it a couple of times. We need more subscribers. We're trying to build that and you know unlock. YouTube's weird. You gotta you gotta get to certain subscriber levels in order to unlock more features. It's it's odd, but it's fun. You can watch enhanced versions of the shows with visual content so that you can see examples of what we're talking about. If you enjoy the show, we certainly hope you do. Otherwise, why have you been listening to us this long? Please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes. And that helps other people find the show by goosing the algorithm and moving us up the charts, especially if you don't just leave a rating, but you write a review. Just tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you enjoy. Tell us, you know... Tell tell us what your feelings on the world blowing up are. Anything like that. <laughs> We'd also love it if you leave us comments on our YouTube pages, like and subscribe, all that sort of things. All the things that people say at the end of all of these podcasts that you listen to. Please do those for us too. It really helps. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Brian for joining us. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live to exist. <laughs>